0: Hello and welcome to the Eco Chamber, brought to you by the team from the Environmental Policy Magazine, The Ends Report. In this episode, we're examining the utter chaos, not my words, although they could be, surrounding DEFRA's plans for green rules. We'll examine whether the Environment Agency has lost its way and just how long it's known about illegal sewage dumping. Then we'll look at the latest on the northeast mass crab death mystery. And after that, we'll be joined by Tess Colley, who's currently at the Conservative Party conference. We're going to patch her in and find out all about the latest Tory gossip. Then Simon Pickstone and Alice Villam will be along to reveal which EU countries are dragging their heels over banning single-use plastics. So without further ado, let's enter the Eco Chamber. I'm Rachel Savage, and today I'm here with Jamie Carpenter. It's just the two of us in Big Green News today because Tess and Pippa are both doing the rounds at the Tory party conference and we'll hear more about that later. Our first story of the Big Green News section is about the growing chaos within DEFRA that seems to be ever growing in relation to the government's plans to slash green rules and scrap the environmental land management scheme known as ELMS. We've mentioned both of these things before on the Eco Chamber. Um, Liz Truss has said very, very clearly she wants to review or appeal the remaining EU-derived laws on the UK statute book by the end of 2023. And the bulk of those uh, rules all fall under, well, the bulk of them fall under DEFRA's scope and include environmental protections such as the nature directives, water directives, environmental impact assessment directive, and, and more. So unsurprisingly, there's been a massive backlash from, from all sides, really, especially unsurprisingly from green groups. Um, but Truss recently has poured kerosene on the fire by talking about this uh, plan to ditch elms, which has been reported in a couple of the papers. In a nutshell, elms would hand out subsidies to farmers for doing good things for the environment like planting trees or restoring peatland. And that replaces subsidies under the Common Agricultural Policy, which were giving farmers um, subsidies based on acreage, regardless of what they did with it. So now backbenchers are getting involved too, and uh, Truss is getting it from all sides, but, uh, Defra called an emergency meeting to try to reset the narrative, uh, is what is being reported. But it didn't really go according to plan, did it, Jamie? Can you update us on on what's happening?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's, it's kind of difficult to know where to start, really, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the to, before we go into the detail of what's going on, I, th- I think the the one of the things that really strikes me is that there is some now some really really major environmental policy changes that are being discussed, um, but the Team at DEFRA is is, I think probably the least experienced team of ministers that I can I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think what my, my my favorite thing that I read last week was that the, there's a report in the Times that there was a a meeting of with DEFRA officials and and one one of the new ministers said they'd always loved gardening and and spent half an hour talking about their favorite Beatrix Potter characters and and um, <laughs> the official was quoted as saying there was no sense they have any understanding at all of what they're messing with. Um, and yeah. it kind of gets better than that because um, Henry Dyer, who's a reporter from The Guardian, he he later, he'd done some sleuthing and he later tweeted that he'd, he'd found um, Trudy Harrison, the new Emir- environment minister's um, maiden speech in 2017, and she said, we are perhaps best known in Cumbria for a delightful little rabbit, Peter Rabbit, and his friends Mrs. Tiggy Winkle and Squirrel Nutkin. It's a name just... <laughs> three of Beatrix Potter's adorable characters. So I um, think we know who the uh, death Resources referring <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> yes.
0: On the Beatrix um, Potter stuff, I saw a, a political cartoon um, with Liz Truss as Jemima Clusterduck. I think I said that carefully enough, which I thought was very, very amusing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, what they're talking about now seems to be a bit more, more shit down oh, yes. than Peter Rabbit, though, which oh, is a God, bit, a bit it, very
0: wild, is it So it seems <laughs> that they're trying to calm calm things down, and uh, as, as Tess will let us know later later on today, they're trying to make people realise that they're not going to scrap all these rules, and you know that they do care about the environment. But there isn't any information behind those statements. Those are kind of hollow in a sense because they haven't put anything behind them. They haven't said, okay, we won't review or reveal these things or we won't scrap elms um, as far as I'm aware. Uh, But they're saying everything's going to be fine and environmental protections will be great. However, it's all about the growth agenda, um, which has actually moved people like Tony Juniper, who's the um, Natural England Chair, to sort of retweet an article that he wrote for The Guardian a couple of years ago, saying that economic growth and nature recovery aren't uh, mutually exclusive and that, you know, having a strong economy, it, it, it requires, you know, having a strong environmental foundation. Um, yeah, so it, they don't seem to have much support um, and they don't seem to be reassuring anybody much.
1: No, no I, th- I think that's right. I mean, I think one of the things last week that the, so the, the new environment secretary, um, Raynaud Jawadina appeared on Twitter he did a little clip, video clip sort of, saying that he's going to set the record straight in the, and, and then didn't really set the record straight at all. Just kind of put about sort of, sort of, sort of had, there's some sort of vague platitudes that, that, that didn't really um, reassure. There there was, there was he, I think he posted it on LinkedIn as well. And the, the, the comments beneath it were just basically no one bought it. So I think that, and, and that, that seems to be coming across from all the, all the, all these sort of now major, major big green NGOs who are, who are up in arms about this, who never really kind of get upset in the way they have. certainly publicly that they're, they're their their kind of key thing is they're they're saying, Okay, well it's all, all very well and good that you're 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 trying to reassure us, but in order to reassure us we actually need to see we need to hear the detail and there there literally is no detail. So the go- the government's saying it it's kind of suggesting that it's going to um not not meddle with Elms but no no one yet is has has any confidence that's the case because the detail just isn't forthcoming so I think there's a long way to go um, Raoul, Raoul I mean
0: mobilising the green groups in this way I mean they try very hard to work with government you know to, to improve things and stuff but the, I think the government has now crossed that line and they are they're coming out and showing their teeth and they're getting really angry and if you know mobilising organisations like the RSPB with millions and millions of members is you know potentially incredibly damaging for them so it's it's something that they've got to be careful of and, and it might be very you know very political to actually get these things done
1: that was good. I was going to agree with that. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the thing around the, um, the, the, this massive U-turn on the 45p tax rates, um, it was interesting to see after that. Um, in his statement, um, announced that U-turn, Kwasi Kwarteng said that the um, government would continue with the supply-side reforms, including accelerating major infrastructure projects. But, but I, think, I think what that, that kind of massive climb down on the 45p tax rate shows is that the government doesn't actually the, the 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 leadership of this trust is not in a strong position she doesn't have all her mps on the side and it, and if as you say the, the, these huge ngos have massive membership like huge memberships much bigger than the tory party has um and the, it, and and supposedly you have a lot of tory mps who now are supportive of environmental causes it does it doesn't take too much to see that there could be a a, a big rebellion here and actually the, these things may not get through in the in the way that um Truss Trust and and party party yeah, and want, want, yeah. want to at the moment. I was listening
0: to the uh Alistair Campbell, Rory uh, Stewart podcast, The Rest is politics, which is incredibly good. But because um, obviously Roy Stewart worked for Liz Truss as environment minister when she was environment secretary and, and he keeps coming out with little interesting nuggets. And in the last one, he was saying that she would say things like, if if what you're doing is not supporting the growth agenda, why are you doing it? Which is a terrible thing to say to an environment department. And, and this is what's coming out and that, that will come back to this in, in our next story, which um very nicely, smoothly, seamlessly um, uh, move into now. Um, so the second story is about the Environment Agency. Um, A couple of things about it. Uh, The first thing is that NGOs are saying that it's lost its way because its leadership seems more interested in supporting reform of green rules. And because its new chair, Alan Lovell, very recently told all staff that it needed to become a modern regulator and support the government's green growth agenda. And it was doing that. um, And they were making these statements. Um, So this is uh, Sir James Bevan, the Environment Agency chief executive, and Alan Lovell, the the new chair. They were saying this at an all staff meeting last week, and uh, at ends we got our hands on some footage of this. Um, so you know, we've written a story on it and spoken to experts, green groups about what they think about these particular statements. What have they been saying, Jamie?
1: Um, well, it's 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 fair to say that the, um, the 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 people that you spoke to were. It, um are pretty furious about what the what the agency has, has has been been saying so um Craig Bennett, who's chief executive of the wildlife trust he he says it's um incredibly alarming and raises questions over whether the agency has totally lost its purpose and sense of direction fergal Sharkey <laughs> went a bit further and said that the the agency always goes further. Compete. O- always goes where well, the complete patsies doing the government's bidding when they were supposed to be above political <laughs> interference. So, so I, I think, I'm not quite sure what he's getting out there. But um... <laughs> no, he's, uh, um,
0: but the, he, the fact that they're talking about supporting government rather, you know, they're supposed to be they're supposed to be uh, responsible to Parliament, not to the Treasury or Number Ten. You know, or it's it's an incredible state of affairs when they're you know really boldly stating all this stuff and and also as a as a new chair that um, level should be. He, he was only on the call for half an hour because he had another board meeting to go to for a completely separate organisation. And this is his first call with all, all staff. Um, it's That's not a good look. And then telling them that, they, you know, they need to be completely reformed. Um, I don't know. It's not the kind of fresh start. It's all going to be great. And this is what we're going to do that you might want from a new chair. But uh, I've never checked an organisation. So maybe <laughs> maybe maybe that's just wishful thinking. Um, but Craig Bennett also made the point that there's no public mandate for these reforms um that Bevan says that he he supports some of them, but anyway, um, that he would well, he's spoken in the past about wanting to reform the Water Framework Directive in the sense that uh, the way that rivers are actually measured, um, because he says that it's such a strict measurement that it masks any improvement, which which he may have a point with, but the way he wanted he would like to change it would automatically make a lot of rivers that are doing very badly look as though they're doing quite well, uh, according to NGOs. So we know that he's been keen on this for a while. And also, still on the Environment Agency, we had another story this week. Um, uh, a report that was leaked from uh, an environment agency insider shows that the environment agency has known about water company illegal sewage dumping for at least a decade. Um, the report is an inspection report from the Northwest, the Environment Agency Northwest area. Uh, and it shows in 2012 that they looked at a number of United Utilities um, water treatment works and kind of assessed whether they thought they were um, performing well and thought that actually they looked like there were problems with with a number of them and took a closer look. And they did find a few breaches all related to this flow to full treatment issue, which means that they, they are legally allowed to dump raw sewage into rivers and lakes and seas if um, there's been exceptional rainfall and if they're already treating a stipulated amount. But this report shows that uh, a number of works were not doing this properly um, and therefore shows that this was kind of, I don't know if commonplace is too strong, but it was happening in a number of areas and the Environment Agency was was very much aware of it. But the investigation that's happening now that kicked off last year, James Bevan was saying, we've only recently heard about this in the last 12 months and this is why we're, we've launched this really big investigation. When this, this document now proves, well, they, they were quite clear that it was happening, um, you know, it wasn't just a one-off, uh, Ten years ago. So, have the Environment Agency responded to those to to that report?
1: Well, well, they they, they have. Yeah, I mean, there's the, um, a, a spokesperson for the agency said that that um, it's significantly driven up monitoring and transparency from water companies in recent years. Um, but um, but it doesn't doesn't really kind of address this this kind of um, I suppose the, the 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 crux of the story is is that these kind of issues were clearly known about. A long time ago not 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 just recently so 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 um it might be fair to say that like in 2016 that there are only 800 event duration monitors on storm overflows those are the devices that that monitor sewage discharges and now they're over more they're more than 12,000, and and that means that the environment agency is is holding the industry to account on a scale never seen before it's saying but um i think these kind of findings do do kind of raise sort of significant question marks about what what actually has been going on sort of between between then and then and, and and the point at which the agency launches investigate these investigations and and, and the fact that the agency will say that the, the 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 investigation is the result of its own kind of drive to to get water companies to put monitors on their sewage treatment works but actually um campaigners say that it's actually down to them they, they they've done um Windrush against sewage pollution they've done their own analysis of water company data um that said show they they say that show many more works with dumping more sewage in dry condition and without treating enough sewage and and that 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 really was the thing I think um Professor Peter Hammond when he appeared in front of the um uh, Select Committee, that that really kinda of lifted the lid on his practice and I think to me that was the thing that kind of really kind of prompted the action and, and not the environment agency itself. Yes.
0: Also relating to the EDMs, the event duration monitors that you mentioned, they, they're quite unreliable as it is. Um, WASP, which has been rushed against sewage pollution, the, um, of which uh, Professor Peter Hammond is a part, um, they've done research and shown that these are quite unreliable anyway, um, on top of whether you believe the water companies reporting as it is, they can actually be faulty. And in, in a lot of the reports, this, they, some of these are offline or have technical issues as well. So, um, and, and the new sewage reduction plan that the government has is based on data coming from these EDMs. So unless these EDMs are working, uh, the plan won't work either. Um, well, that's another another part of the sewage scandal, and it, it keeps on going. Are we better to say that United Utilities did respond um As part of the report uh, referred to the Cleta Wastewater Treatment Works, and for which the activity there, they were fined uh, £20,000 for um the breach, the non-compliance there. So when they responded to uh request of comment, they said that they pleaded guilty to five spills at Keto Wastewater Treatment Works a decade ago and were fined. Since then, we've had a clear plan, plan to tackle these issues, which has is seen as invest millions of pounds, installing more than 2,000 monitors. And this has been an important factor in us achieving the top four-star environmental rating five times in the last seven years. So that's what United Utilities say as a result of that. Right. This brings us on to our final story, which is a quick update about the massive crab kills that we've been talking about in the North Sea. Um, essentially, what's happened or it was last year between October and uh, December 2021, huge numbers of crabs and lobsters were washing up on beach in Teesside and uh, North Yorkshire. And they were displaying all twitching behavior and lethargy, and a lot of them were dead. Um, So there was Defra ran a report into that and said, "Oh, well, you know, we don't really know. It's tricky to find out. We think it's a harmful algal algal bloom, but local people, and fishermen, and scientists at universities in the area didn't didn't really agree with that assessment." Jamie, can you let us know what's going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is an incredible story. I mean, I think we we've we've recently done our own foray into filmmaking with that with the seven documentary but this is this is something that kind of feels very uh like like it could be a movie so so yeah i mean as as you say we have these kind of mass die-offs of of um crabs and shellfish have been been going on and and um the defra's defra's kind of um assessment is that that the, the the probable cause of this is is algal algal blooms naturally occurring um other other people say that um it's down to chemical pollution and and the kind of latest development in this story is that there there have been um some new initial findings by independent university researchers um who which kind of seem to seem to suggest that um it could indeed be down to chemical pollution in particular is chemical called pyridine, and this is i think quite problematic for the for the government um Particularly because of the location of this big freeport um, on on the River T. so this, this is this is a um, massive massive brownfield redevelopment. I think I think one of the biggest in Europe, and it's it's a it's a kind of flagship thing for the Tories is freeport. Um, but in order to to make this thing happen, there needs to be a, a huge amount of dredging, and and the fear that that people have is that should that dredging go ahead, more of these these nasty chemicals could be be released into the, into the sea there. And, and people are using the kind of phrase, phrases like dead zone and that kind of stuff. So, so there's, there's kind of real, real concern. People, people want uh th- th- there to be a halt to that while, while um it's properly investigated. So, so yeah, so I, I, I definitely recommend um, channel four news put out a, uh, Sort of a short film about it um, last week. That's very much worth captures it quite quite nicely. Um, if
2: you want to know the background, and so I it.
0: I can't imagine whenever the environment comes up comes up against development like this, um, it never wins. It never wins the argument. And if they need to dredge to to do it, I, I can't imagine that that's just an activity that is is going to be stopped and or that there could be a third way around it. But perhaps there is. I mean, what do you think? Is it just going to go ahead regardless?
1: I I guess I guess it kind of depends. It'll be be interesting to see. Um, how how DEFRA responds to it, because I think up, up until th- th- this has been an issue that has been, people have been talking about it for a while now. It's been sort of, but I think re- in, in sort of recent weeks and months, it seems to have kind of generated more interest. And I think it's got a higher profile now. And I think I think it might, it, it, it kind of feels to me that it might have got, it's getting to the point now where it's getting harder and harder for DEFRA to kind of ignore these these findings and and, and to kind of just, continue to put it down down to being a uh an algal bloom i, d- I don't think that's really going to cut it for much longer so and i, and I think um like, like a lot of these things that there's there's lots of lots of competing interests and and clearly the freeport is a big priority for the government but but then there the, the, there are other industries and livelihoods around the area that are going to be really threatened by this so the fishing industry up there tourism all those sorts of things um so so i think it's It doesn't feel to me that that the current position can hold for for much longer, but um, I don't think it's really like the government these days to (laughs) U-turn, so who Uh, knows. will it?
0: That brings us to the end of the Big Green News section. Next up is our deep dive, and it's coming to you from the Conservative Party Conference in Birmingham. We've dispatched Tess Colley and Pippa Neal to report from the event, and we have Tess on the line now to give us the latest.
3: Hi, Tess. How's it going? Hi Rachel, it's uh, it's going well. I mean, it's all very uh, tense here, as you can imagine. Yeah, uh, with everything going on, um, and yeah, lots of um, interesting dis- environmental discussions. I have to say, there's a lot of lot of uh, upset in Tory party yeah, quarters. Yeah, we've been talking about
0: that earlier in the uh, in this episode. So, what can you let us know about the whole debacle around green rules?
3: Uh, yeah, so I mean. In almost um, every environmental um, event that's been here, it's come up the fact that over the last week, you know, there's this huge concern in the green, within green groups that uh, environmental reforms are going to be pulled apart protections completely trashed. You know, I've put it to, we had a, a housing minister on an event yesterday and uh, we talking about can, can nature and housing, you know, is there space for both? And I asked, could you give some, you know, detail about the, 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 the E requirements that are supposedly ineffective to protect in nature? You know, no, no details can be given. Mark Spencer, <laughs> a similar story. He, I mean, he said, he said that, you know, this, this government does not want to tear up uh, environmental protections. However, if you... But it might. But it yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't want to. He's got, they've got no intention of it. Uh, and I just now, literally about 10 minutes before coming on here, uh, spoke to Ranul Jai Warden, our new, our new environment secretary at a, an, a, an event for the for kind of shooting and an angling lobby. Um, and I said, what about, you know, the environmental protections, a lot of concern that they're going to be scrapped. He says, you know, our environmental protections are here to stay when I questioned him on all the upset. Um, And I said, well, all of them, but he, he ran away a little bit, Rachel. Um, (laughs) Could you not pursue him? I'd love to see you chasing him around the conference. (laughs) Well, you know, I just got, he's got quite an entourage with him. Uh, he was very i was very much i was no longer welcome but you know I, he's at an event later so i'll try again now he knows my face though he may run He can put
0: her. a fake mustache on or something oh, you can do Yeah, uh, maybe that. <laughs> well, well we'll look forward to hearing more about it but didn't you so what was mark spencer saying because didn't you say something that he was we'd be grateful for farmers for the the, the way the countryside looks and something along those oh, lines? oh yes
3: yes so he went on um he gave a kind of larger speech at a slightly separate event, which was about farming. Uh, what well, a bit more is about land and land and, and farming and food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with all the Elms news that's been around recently, you think he'd have stayed. Unfortunately, he couldn't right. stay. But he gave a speech uh, in which he he said, you know, we all need to work together. That sort of thing. Um, he said, you know, it's ironic that our farmers are often accused of degrading our environment. Uh, when, you know, you look around and, you know, a lot of the beautiful landscapes we see are because of farmers, such as the stone walls in Yorkshire. Um, and of course, you know, stone walls are nice, but I, I couldn't help thinking this isn't, this sort of isn't what people, what, what green groups and what people are interested in. And, you know, the, the ecological crisis, they're not too worried. It's not, that's really not the kind of landscape they're talking about. So there's a lot of feeling, a lot of the ministers, they always, they catch everything they say is, well, I'm not been in the job long. Does beg the question of why they've been, why they are in charge of such pivotal policy. Well, even Truss and
0: Kwarteng is saying that, and they've been in in government for years. (laughs) So it's kind of, you know, we do have some memory, you know. Um, So that that's all very interesting, and we'll wait to hear again um, if you're listening to uh, Ronald J. Wardner later. um, We'll have reports on that on the Energy Report site. Um, But you've also been listening to some debates about net zero. Is that right?
3: Mm, Yes, the kind of the second. The second side of the, the other side of the coin going on at conference. Um, Chris Skidmore, who's leading the, the the net zero review, he's been out and about at various events. I was at a reception with him last night. Uh, you know, very very firm that this his net zero review uh, is not about reviewing the target itself or the, the need for it. It's about reviewing how we make it sustainable. And That was very much his message. It's about how you know the, the energy transition cannot be taken for granted, and he talked about the. The siren voices uh, and the populism on the right, uh, which is quite quite strong language, I actually thought, which was interesting, and that we, you know the pe- those who are behind the kind of net zero must must meet that challenge. And head some on. of those
0: siren voices are there, right? You've been listening to them. Were you tempted onto the rocks? Yes. Yeah.
3: Well, exactly. Twelve, <laughs> 12 hours later, uh, I was lining up to get into the the think tent, um, which is where the uh, Institute for Economic. Um, Oh, the IEA Institution of Economic Affairs. Active Affairs, okay. yeah. Thank you. Uh, the tent where the Institute of Economic Affairs are, are kind of running all their things, and Steve Baker of the Net Zero um, Scrutiny Group. Mm-hmm. He he was at an event, and it was absolutely round. People couldn't get in. There was a huge line, and it was all about can the UK afford net zero? And some of the some of the stuff that came out of that panel was, I mean, for I imagine for a lot of the people listening to Eco Chamber quite shocking in in terms of the way that net zero was spoken about. Andy Mayer, who's the COO of of the IEA, which is a very influential think tank, it's often linked, you know, people say it's Liz Truss's favorite. Um, He said, we don't need a legally binding target, and we need to get rid of it. Uh, There's a quote, and there was applause in the room to that. Um, And yes, Steve Baker himself, you know, saying that we're just we're on we're on the wrong path. And uh, this high, the high emission scenarios are just implausible within the IPCC reports, and that it's it's it, if we're going to have a the debate, then you know we, these uh, this idea of the eight point five warming is so unlikely that it's just not something that we should we should be talking about. And somebody else suggested that Lord Devon should get a proper <laughs> job. Uh, the was that CCC. somebody on the panel or is someone in the audience? No, that was that was on the panel. <laughs> that was um, yeah, that was that was the COO of the at the IEA. Uh, that, the, yeah, Lord Deben needs to get a proper job. Um, and, you know, the climate regulator shouldn't be lobbying, as, as he put it. I think the CCC would would have something to say Careful, about that. Careful, thoughtful, reflective debate, then, yes? Right. Yes. Okay. I spoke to, um, that is the deputy chair of the Conservative Environment Network just after that panel. And um, he described the net zero scrutiny group and Steve Baker, Steve Baker's gang as, as mad. And talking about climate, kind of skepticism and down as a kind of a thing of a past, really, that the conservative party had got got past. And I, I said, well, I just heard all this. What you know, is it really the thing of the past? Is that is there still a problem? And he says no, and points out, you know, that they're simply wrong, and they're just you know egged on by their editorials mm. in certain newspapers, um, and that Sen has a far bigger kind of network. Yeah. Than, the net zero scrutiny group, which by Steve Baker's own admission right. is just a WhatsApp group. It's amazing how
0: much noise you can make from a WhatsApp group. Um, so we're going to have to leave you shortly, but did you have some news about
3: the levelling up bill before we go? Yes. Well, apparently it's not scrapped. Right. It's certainly going on to the next stage of, part of the parliamentary progress. Uh, I asked the housing minister quite directly, is it still on the cards? And he said he's expecting it to go to the next stage. You could say he could have just said, no, it's not scrapped. But... He didn't say that, so we'll we'll
0: see. more of that zombie legislation that we've been talking about. Thanks, Tess. Now it's time for our Knowing Me, Knowing EU section. Simon Pickstone and Alice Villan are here to bring you the latest on green policy from Brussels. In this episode, they're looking at the ban on single-use plastics and who has been the slowest to implement it. Over to you, Alice and Simon.
2: Thanks, Rachel. This week on Knowing Me, Knowing EU – Alice and I are going to be talking about single-use plastics. In Brussels, member states have got in trouble with the European Commission over their failure to implement a well-publicized, long-in-the-making ban on various kinds of single-use plastic items. Alice, what can you tell us?
4: Uh, So essentially, this will probably not be news to any of us, but uh, the EU has a directive called the EU Single-Use Plastics Directive. It was enacted in 2019, and it bans a series of single-use plastic products. So that ranges from polystyrene cups and food containers to plastic cutlery and plates, uh, plastic beverage stirrers, plastic balloon sticks... Uh, and plastic straws and cotton buds, which are probably the two that have had the most press, certainly in the UK. The m- deadline for transposing the directive's provisions into domestic law was last July, so the 3rd of July 2021. But things have not gone to plan, have they?
2: Well, various member states have been, let's say, a bit lax about um, telling the Commission what they've been up to, and often. Simply failing to tell the commission anything at all. The way that basically um, EU directives work is that a directive is a set of instructions, effectively, to member states about the, how they need to turn EU law into national law. Now, it's different from a EU regulation, which applies across the block at the same time um, across the whole block.
4: Yeah. So, a regulation, um, in in a way, if you've got an EU regulation, once it comes into force and applies. Uh, Member states don't have to enact any extra legislation of their own, except maybe for enforcement purposes. But Um, in the case of a directive?
2: Yeah, effectively, it all comes from the member state. I mean, the, 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 the laws have to be in national law. And the member state then has an obligation to tell the commission how it's translated each of the provisions of the directive into their law. The European Commission has been... Unhappy, let's say, um, because um, a bunch of member states simply haven't haven't done all of the things that they should have done. So last week it sent a, a final warning to nine member states. Belgium, Estonia, Ireland, Croatia, Latvia, Poland, Portugal, Slovenia and Finland. And the commission has given them two months to justify what they've done and tell tell EU officials that they've correctly transposed the legislation. If they don't, then the European Commission can send them to court, to the European Court of Justice, which is a you know a favourite among the UK um, tabloids. It's the place where these stern judges in Luxembourg sit and hand out potentially fines to member states for breaching EU law. Uh, two member states have also received a kind of first initial warning. So that's Denmark and France, and that's because the Commission doesn't think that they correctly transposed all of the elements of the directive. For France, that's actually relating to um, fishing gear, which is another part of the single use plastics directive and a really important one, actually, because loads of the marine plastic pollution is from old fishing nets and, um, and lines and things like that related yeah. to the fishing industry.
4: But in this case, it's um, rather than a ban, it's a, an extended producer responsibility yeah.
2: provision. Yeah. So, so basically, trying to introduce measures to disincentivize. People dumping fishing gear at sea. Um, But in the UK as well, we've actually had a bit of progress on the single. I mean, the funny thing with this piece of legislation, right, is it happened over the Brexit transition period. So the UK was sort of involved in the EU still. It was in, in this kind of halfway house.
4: Yeah, so it was published in 2019, which obviously still, we were still in the EU. But the transposition deadline comes after the UK has left the EU. So technically, most of the UK is not subject to the single-use plastics directive, with a notable exception, which is Northern Ireland. So Northern Ireland, because of its, shall we say, slightly odd position, was granted an extended deadline of 1st of January 2022 instead of the 3rd of July 2021, to ban the sale of single-use cotton bud sticks, plate, scutlery, et cetera, etc., etc., and ironically, it is the jurisdiction in the UK that has done the least on <laughs> any of those plastics so far. And <laughs> um, what,
2: what about England, Wales, Scotland?
4: So, England, Wales, and Scotland, um, the situation is quite varied. So, we've got Scotland is the one that has, in a sense, done the most, or at least the most that aligns directly with the directives. So it has two sets of regulations, the Environmental Protection Cotton Buds Scotland Regulations 2019, which, um, you know, it's in the name, it bans cotton buds, um, with plastic sticks or plastic stems, and then the Environmental Protection Single-Use Plastic Products uh, Regulations 2021, uh, which bans polystyrene cups, containers, food containers, um, plastic plates, cutlery, beverage stirrers, and then, plastic straws with some exemptions, and plastic balloon sticks with some exemptions uh, from the Interesting. You June. can still use them for Maybe professional
2: so purposes, can't you? The balloon sticks. Yeah.
4: Yes, you can. Um, which is quite—it's quite broad, isn't it? Mm. Because you were having a look, and
2: you can't. I think what it means is you can still use them at events, but you can't give them to people.
4: Yes. Yeah, a member of the public can't run around with a balloon on a plastic stick.
2: It's but, for professionals only.
4: Yes, yeah, professional use only. Um, and industrial use. And industrial
2: use. We couldn't really, really work out what, what those might be, but. Yeah, that if, remains if a bit mysterious. Knows, in um, <laughs> and
4: in England? Detail. Oh, England, in Wales? England. Okay, so England and Wales, uh, again, kind of slightly different uh, position. The In England, uh, we've got the environmental protection, plastic straws, cotton buds, and stirrers, England regulations 2020. So the provisions there are largely in place since the 1st of. October 2020 and it bans plastic uh, straws, cotton buds and stirrers Um, again with some exemptions. So for plastic straws across the board those exemptions are mostly linked to making sure that uh, anybody with a disability still has access to them.
2: I remember that being quite a big um, topic of conversation at the time.
4: Yeah so one of the ways that uh, that's been done is that if you go to a um, say a restaurant, um, the straws cannot be on display, but you can request one. Uh, so that's one of the ways that they've gone around that. Um, and then other than that, at the moment, there's nothing in place, but there is a proposed ban on six more items, which again, are the usual suspects of, uh, polystyrene cups and food containers, plastic cutlery plates, balloon sticks. Um, but interestingly, in England, there's also a call for evidence for um, that was held recently on other litter that often enters the uh, the environment, and those are things like wet wipes, tobacco filters, single-use plastic cups that aren't covered by other proposals. Yeah,
2: where actually we have here the the England going a little bit further than the EU. Yeah,
4: Yeah. and then in Wales, um, at the moment, there's nothing in place, but there's a bill that was introduced in the Welsh Assembly just on the 20th of September, uh, which will be the Environmental Protection Single-Use Plastic Products Wales Bill. And it covers all of the elements from um, all of the plastics, uh, all of the plastic products, from the EU directive, which means that it also includes oxodegradable products. And that's not included in any of the other regulations across the UK, partly because there is some controversy as to whether that's really needed because we're not too sure how long they actually take to biodegrade and so on.
2: From the, from the EU side, we've also got more things on the horizon. Um, so there's currently consultations happening on microplastics for instance where the commission has has published a draft regulation about um, banning certain products that lead to microplastic pollution so it does seem like in the uk and in the eu policymakers are starting to take plastic pollution pretty seriously yeah it's
4: a massive massive issue um it's the substance that we find in our environment the most and because it's um it tends to attract um, Forever Chemicals as well. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's just a
2: huge thing. Obviously, also global negotiations um, will be underway in a little bit. Um, they've got the mandate to start negotiations. So that's all stuff to look out for. Back to you, Rachel.
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Eco Chamber. Thank you to Jamie Carpenter, Tess Colley, Simon Pickstone and Alice Fillon. If you're interested in hearing more about any of the stories we've been discussing, please go to endsreport.com. And you can also watch there our new documentary, Seven, The Poisoning of Britain's Amazon, which has had a fantastic reception and I urge you to check it out. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you next time.